And this afternoon, I am joined in the studio by Associate Professor Jeffrey Louie and Tony Schumacher-Jones. I'm going to let them say hello. G'day, Anya. Thanks for asking us back. <laughs> oh, hi, Anya. Yeah, it's good to, good to be back here talking about stuff here. Yeah. yeah, thank you for joining me. Hopefully we'll be joined soon by David Lovegrove. Anyway, this is our ninth year anniversary show, and I'm very excited to have both Tony and Jeff here to talk about the politics of loneliness and humane care in aged care, robot or human Yes, robots That's or humans. Robots yes. or humans. We've been joined by David Lovegrove. Afternoon, David. Hi, Anya. Hi, and Jeff. Hi, Tony. G'day, David. We're live in the studio, just for a change. And uh, normally we've been doing lots of pre-records lately, so that uh, after nine years of dedicated, hard, long service of various different lengths of programs, whether it be an hour, two hours, weekly, fortnightly, an hour and a half that finally we get a little break on a Saturday but we are actually live in the studio and today is our uh, nine year anniversary show and I have Associate Professor Jeffrey Louie here and Jeff was one of the first academics that came and helped out with the show so pleasure to help out it was great work that you've done all of you Fantastic. <laughs> all of me. Yeah, all, 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 all of the team. Of me. All the team. All the team. Thank yeah. you. Yes, and it was uh, terrific when you first uh, joined us because we finally had some uh, genuine, solid, uh, evidence-based information to present on air rather than me just coming from the lived experience as a carer and a consumer. And So it was marvellous. You just really elevated the status and level of the show, Jeff. So I'm very grateful to you well thank you it's been great to sort of collaborate together on all of it that's what that's what the day-to-day -day work is and that's what we should be doing as a society we're working together collaboratively co-designing a yeah, radio show absolutely and we're going to be doing that this afternoon and we have uh, dr tony schumacher jones what's your expertise tony i i guess if you're talking about PhD is in basically in the area of human rights and uh, mental health and aged care in Australia since the Second War. That that's where my interest is. But my interest is really within the area of um, aged care at the moment. Mm. And Jeff, you're still doing the dementia research. Yes, yes. Well, uh, my research team is still working on trying to understand the basis of the cognitive, emotional, and motor dysfunction changes that occur with various types of neurodegenerative disorders, including Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease. We need to understand the, the basic mechanisms so that we can design better treatments and also monitor uh, progression of treatment. So if we're giving new treatments like clinical trials, then we can measure people actually getting better apart from their lived experience in, in ways that we can quantify this to help them navigate and, and estimate where they are along the journey of the illness. Mm. And so the, your expertise is going to inform this discussion today and initially it started with me finding an article, Robot Companions Aimed at Curing Loneliness and there was, a, and I can't actually read the document because it was just a video, there we go, there's my oversight. It actually was about a technology affair in Berlin that was showing off devices that can read people's expressions to judge their moods aimed at curing loneliness in both humans and animals and it was pretty... <laughs> I sent it to Jeff and Tony because previously we'd done a show back in 2016, which I played back a, f a number of times because I really loved it so much. The Tin Man, and does he have a heart and does it really matter? And in that show we talked about the artificial intelligence uh, being uh, sort of emerging these various different in interventions which are being used in aged care. And this is kind of a follow-on for that. But I'm going to hand over to you okay, so that we can talk about these uh, devices because I know that 
in our correspondence, you said that there are many different sorts mm. of uh, sure. yep. new in interventions of this type that are being trialled or used. And so. we're, we're talking here about companion robots, aren't we? Because we know that, I, I guess, robotic technology is, is pretty much ubiquitous within medicine, generally speaking, but we're really not talking about uh, robots that diagnose and, and treat. We're talking about companion robots, aren't we? Yes, for loneliness. For loneliness, and look, look, I guess, I guess my starting point was that that there's there's two questions here in a sense is that is that why do we want to provide uh, robotic companions, companion robots for people who maybe live live in residential aged care? Why do we want to do it? And the second thing is actually, should we do it? Is it ethical to do it? And I think the first area falls under the notion of, of politics. Why do we want to do it? And it's interesting that we focus on residential aged care because that seems to be where most uh, companion robots are. We, we don't find robots, as Jeff and I were talking previously, we don't, we don't find them in, uh, in, in hospitals, we don't find them in prisons, we don't find them in numerous other institutions, but we do find them in residential aged care. And and I guess I'm wondering, why is it that we want to put them there? And I guess the answer, if you wanted to unpack the answer, I, I, I suspect it would be something like, well, they're cheaper to, uh, they're, they're cheaper to run than actual humans. Uh, they, they don't break down. Uh, they don't complain. And, and they're a lot more cost-effective. And I suspect that they're the reasons that we're doing it. Uh, because we know our, our current workforce is uh, is mostly from non-English speaking backgrounds. We know that uh, they're extremely poorly paid. We know that their skill levels are really, to be fair, are, are highly compromised. And so we think that the answer might, I suspect we think that the answer might be with working with robots. And I, I did read it. I'm not sure I read the same article as you, Anya, but I did read an article which suggested, well, how far do you want to go with robots and residential care? Um, I mean, you could arguably, you could have the entire facility that you're working in simply staffed by robots. And would that matter? Do you know, so there might be no humans working there whatsoever from, from tea people, you know, push tea trolleys to, to ad admissions, to, to nurses that do dressings, to delivering food. To it's starting to people. sound like the Jetsons. <laughs> yes. But I mean, I mean, arguably, where or do you Star want to Trek stop? Or something yes. like that. So, so where do you want to stop? And, and is anyone, would anyone disagree that we're, we're, we're doing it because it's cheaper and more easy to manage robots than it is humans? But there's and also the ethical dimension that you talked about, mm. the reasons why one would do it, mm. the values. Mm. I think you, you were talking about that before. Did you want to expand on that? Well, um, <laughs> I mean, I think, that's, I think that plays into a whole lot of things about how we see older people, you know, in our society, how we how we regard older people. And, and I remember when I was teaching at the University of Canberra, I, I, I got students to go into uh, Belconnen Mall and I, I would say to them, go and look at all the shops and find out how many shops are directed towards particular age groups. How many are there for men and for women? Look at the advertising. How much is directed towards people over the age of 65? Or, or just when you're sitting at home watching ads on television, how much of our society is focused towards people over 65 or over 70? which are really uh, the fastest growing demographics and you'll find that, that this group of people is particularly invisible unless of course you want to get funeral um, yes isn't that right a, f a funeral or do you want to find a place to sort of be in a residential aged care and invest in that I'm trying to think of the ads that I've seen and it, it, which you're unlikely I, to find in a mall anyway so yeah but, <laughs> but, but, but lower the yes. tone of the mall obviously <laughs> <laughs> well the fact that they, they regard it as lowering it's, the tone is the issue isn't it but yeah. it, perhaps that's an idea for the malls they yeah. could have a funeral parlour in the mall that'd be easy yeah. right next to the residential aged care unit or Since, home but yeah. I, I actually you know I'm glad you raised that because I just started to think you know what is there that's you know what's how are we uh how do we perceive, as you said, people who are older? And why are we marketing those sorts of products to people? Is that all that people have to look forward to? Is, you know, where they're going to live and thinking about their death? It's maybe a variant of the valorization and commodification of the young. 
So they're trying to sell products to the young, and a lot of these areas that uh, have influence in terms of the social media and the, what how things affect the zeitgeist are focused on younger people and resources for younger people because they're potential purchasers even before they finish school. Mm. And so this is an element where, and this gets into the invidious element where you see in the, the social discourse about these issues which relate to transgenerational problems where it's portrayed as a zero-sum game that giving resources for older people takes away resources from younger people with mm. with issuing the idea that younger people become older people and in fact the younger people now will live longer than any of us can even imagine and they'll be older people for a lot longer than we will and so th this this generational theme has been something throughout society for as long as humans have lived so it's about that sort of balance between different parts of society having access to to adequate resources and i think the it's really drifted and this part of this discourse about robots i think potentially is, is drifting towards low cost uh, what they regard as uh, uh, as instrumental approaches and it's a variant of of something that uh, i'm writing an article about at the moment about technocratic and technological solutionism but there's also this in administrative settings as well that one finds a, a technical fix and then tries to apply it to the you know and it's actually interesting i found the original quotation which was from abraham maslow and i can't remember the exact quotation but it ends with to the man with a hammer everything must look like a nail and he's actually the original source of it abraham maslow who coined the hierarchy of needs mm. and mm. so so this this seeking to apply technology to settings seems like a solution that you can apply which is low cost clean mm. no no mess and it it to me speaks to concerns from my viewpoint about how we value people because people aren't instruments and we we, we should treat people humanely and though we can provide a robot should we really ethically because people want human contact and there's ev ample evidence to show that human contact causes changes in people's physiology that is be good for the health a common one that's mentioned by a lot of older people is that a lot of older people don't even get touched by other people mm. because mm. they're frightened to touch them mm. and and that 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 is that is a, a very human uh need just to shake hands just to give a hug a kiss on the cheek they don't even have that and that's 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 really tragic and there's this putting away i think too putting people away in a place that's right yeah there, i mean a lot of the advertising sort of speaks to that you'll be going <laughs> to a resort to, the, to the, some sort of resort the elysian fields so they're trying to they're trying to cordon off people away from hmm. society whereas people who are most accepted with older people who are living in society in fact this very heartening program where which obviously has things that are checks and balances where they brought with a teacher uh, younger people to meet older people who who didn't have very severe cognitive it seemed mm -hmm. disabilities and to, so that they had an experience of visiting an aged care facility and it was a sort of synergistic but that required a fair bit of supervision because you need a, a teacher there because they're kids Mm. Uh, 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 that's this, my, this yeah. is the young four-year-olds that yeah, was yeah, recently on yeah, TV. Yeah. Uh, well, I thought there were people, uh, was uh, a teacher. I didn't see the uh, detail, but it seemed like there yeah. was a teacher there. But they certainly were able to measure the and observe the interaction and how it changed people. Well, it was human interaction. It's um, it's younger people seeing older people, yeah. which is which is part of what they've tried to depict. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. It was also in holding hands and t taking, getting the older people who would otherwise not even feel like able to get up and have a walk with, with Zimmer frame or whatever, but they're still and, and able it's heart to... it's heartening. It's heartening play. to see. It was about Because playing. they're seeing it as part of human yeah. life. I mean, it, it goes back into the 60s, I think, in, in when they had the Soylent Green. They were, the, the book is based on make way, make way. They dispose of the elderly people, and I won't go into the detail about what happens in that film but uh, uh, and the book that it's based on but it's about this notion that when you're older you seem to have less value in aspects of society and that's a that's a dreadful indictment of all society if we feel like that but that's even happening in employment yes 
you know, people. I just had a conversation. With, I went and had my fringe trimmed. Here I am. I went and had my fringe trimmed yesterday, and I was chatting to this lady who was in the chair next to me, and she told me about how her job, and she's the same age as me, and she'd been in the job for a very long time, and then she had to be in. They were re-advertised her position. She had to reapply for it and go through six months of all that kind of stress. And then, luckily, she got her job back again. But, I mean, we talked about ageism and people being made redundant and got rid of it once they hit about 60 or in their 50s. And about the loss of not just the knowledge from the workplace, but life experience knowledge and expertise, which could be being used as a resource when younger people come in to work in the the new a new uh, work environment. And I think it's very poor reflection on our society that we are not thinking about, as you said, the value that older people have to bring whether it be in the workplace or or in any aspect of our interactions. Mm. Yeah, I, I think of it in terms of, I, I guess the terminology I've used is, is older people so often seem to be the disembodied other. That uh, is, and, and we don't know what to do with them. Um, it's quite sad. I mean, I, I work in an aged care facility and I, I often hear families saying, well, I, I would like to bring our children in or, or mum and dad's grandchildren in, but uh, it's too confronting for them. And uh, I've never I've never said it, but I often think, well, you know, uh, isn't that it says something about the style of life that we have in Australia, doesn't it? Or in a first world country, uh, I suspect if you live in 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 the Middle East, or if you happen to be in Afghanistan, or live somewhere like that, or Asia, or Asia, yeah, okay, well, yeah, multi generational houses. Th- then I think that you've probably seen a lot that of confronting stuff. Mm. I mean, you've probably seen death, and you've probably seen dying, and you've probably seen famine, and you might have seen civil mm. strife. But but there's this uh, urge that we have to protect. I don't know. We protect children from things that might upset them, or people. You know, everyone gets old. Everyone gets old and wrinkly and breaks down and dies eventually. But uh, I've always found that really disappointing that people would say, "I don't want to bring my children in here because it's too confronting." Well, life's confronting, isn't it? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You know. But you know, there are other cultures where family mm. members are it's a, it's joyful that the the older member is maintained and supported within the family and yes. within the community. Jeff, I yeah, know that I you, agree. I, I think that the in a lot of cultures there's this multi generational house and people have the interaction which normalizes the experience. Mm. Mm. But the experience of otherness is something that's particularly mm. In, in in westernized well-developed cultures it's not to say that that isn't actually happening now with social advances and and economic advances in other developed countries in Asia and in Europe that 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 does happen but it's also a function of this idea that people have about you know the value of of, of the lived experience of the older person that they that they they represent a real lived experience memory which isn't like a hard disk on a computer isn't like a photograph it's colored like all of us by human frailty but it's an important part of the human experience and living to be older is part of what we mostly hope to aspire to Uh, and and i think that 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 sharing that with people is that element that we think of potentially as wisdom or however we express it in society and we're losing a lot if we don't have that experience of being with uh, having counsel from listening to sometimes they'll disagree with us of course because they live different lives and that's just part of the richness of the mm. human experience yeah. so when we have them cloistered uh, put into a other other part of society uh, then we I think that that that's a tremendous loss for them particularly because of the loneliness but also mm. for us uh, because we we don't have that sort of engagement uh, and I think that it's a, it's a difficult issue because of the so much is focused on 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 use and and the commodification of those values relating to youth and utility etc which somehow leave 
and continue to leave the older people by the wayside because they're something other. They, they don't fit into the system uh, so that you don't have to account for them in the system. You place them away from other people. It's the concept that was similar originally to the well-meant aspect of the asylums for people with mental illness. Originally, they were the sanatory to allow people to uh, recover because they had no treatments. And in the more more enlightened ones, they let people have space to play and gave them work to do. The less enlightened, there were all sorts of problems. But that concept of 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 uh, walling off and placing our older people away is really really concerning. Mm. And just on the topic of people from multicultural backgrounds, because I know in our discussions via email that there seems to be a lot of people working in aged care facilities who have migrated to this country. And it's interesting that Jeff uh, has said that in you know in some communities overseas the family member is there in the multi-generational house. And maybe that's a reason why people of multicultural background are working in aged care facilities or more receptive or willing to work in an aged care facility because perhaps they have an intrinsic understanding of the importance of being having providing care or support tony yeah maybe but of course i'm just pulling that but out that's but, but um, when you remember Jeff, Jeff and I did some research, remember, on aged care facilities in the ACT, 2007, 2007, and I think we found that overwhelmingly most carers were white Anglo-Saxons. Of course, females, because fem- because caring is a female hmm. activity, isn't it? But but now, of course, that that whole dem- that that that, that demographic has changed, and now they're mostly uh, people from non-English speaking backgrounds. But yeah. Uh, uh, on my experiences, and, and look, there's a whole lot of problems that comes with that. I mean, uh, uh, often people are caring who have English as a second and a third language, so they're also very distinct and different from the people they're caring for. And uh, if you come to Australia and you want to get a PR, permanent residency, then you have to work in the regions for a certain amount of time. Well, Canberra's regarded as a region, and so a lot of people just work there because that's where they have to work. But it's all the other side of the coin, aren't you? I suppose is that Australians don't want to do this job. Yeah. This is work that Australians don't want to do. It's in a sense sort of shunned by yes, the rest of, of society. And this yeah. is this is the issue we mentioned briefly, but we didn't go into as much in the article, is that respecting the work that people do and their dedication that they do in aged care, it seems as if there's an underclass of people caring for these people who are sort of more socially, uh, economically deprived. That's why they're working in the roles, and the the roles are less esteemed and valued, which is reinforced by the pay yes. and conditions that people have. And these are the people caring for our vulnerable elderly. And yeah. th- there's a great concern. Uh, I would feel uh, that most of us in aged care share about that. This is not to criticise the work that people are providing. It's really a systemic issue that yeah. people don't have sufficient training and support mm-hmm. to deliver the quality of care that we would expect even in a, a, a general setting in in your GP's practice, in in, in the hospital, out in, out in the community with community nursing. There isn't necessarily that, that sub- level of support and resourcing. And we can see that the way that the systems are run there have been demonstrations in the in, in that there there have been failings in in aged care that are emerging through the the royal commission. But as Tony pointed out, how many there are about thirty different thirty different investigations over the last couple of decades. Are we, are we going to get on the royal commission? Are we? Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. But it's down the slippery slope. But, uh, I mean, yes. I mean, so, so you get people from non-English speaking backgrounds, and what jobs do they do in Australia? They do unskilled jobs. That's the reality. If you go to a country and you don't have the culture and you can't speak the language, you tend to do unskilled jobs. And so trolley, trolley collecting at supermarkets, aged care, work in aged care. So what does that say about aged care? What is it saying about being old and living in aged care that you have people that are largely unskilled? You have a whole lot of unskilled people being managed by a very small number of registered nurses. Very small. So what does that tell us about what we think about elderly people, what we think about people living 
in aged care facilities? What do we think about people who have dementia? Because a lot of people in aged care facilities have got dementia. Mm. So this tells us, you know, there's a lot to unpack here that you couldn't do Mm. in this context. Mm. But this is tapping in, I think, to a lot of uh, assumptions that we make about other people and uh, mm. the strangers in our midst, if, if you want to call them that. Mm. Yeah. And it does sort of get to that the, the title, which was the, the politics mm. of loneliness, humane aged care robot or human. And in terms of politics, we're talking about the governance and management of loneliness or the governance of aged care. Yes. Mm. And you're saying, I hear, that it isn't really humane and that the governance is quite poor. Yes, at many levels it seems like that's the case across aged care because of the lack of coordination. I think this is a theme across most of health care about overall governance because of our governmental structure, which I'm not an expert on, but I'm talking about the consequences in terms of health because we have a commonwealth level which then disperses funding to the states and then there are commonwealth initiatives which don't necessarily articulate with the states we get these parallel processes including mm -hmm. things like the NDIS but mm -hmm. also aged care facilities which are commonwealth funded now the states can put legislation around aspects of the aged care but most of the funding comes from the commonwealth government through the department mm -hmm. of health and that that the Commonwealth departments aren't on the ground in the states, so that sort of, they have to have people coming around like the aged care ombudsman. But how much ground they, can they cover? Because Australia is a huge country, and there are nursing homes and aged care facilities all all around the country, scattered in small towns. Mm. Uh, and interestingly, in small towns, maybe some of the areas where some of the aged care can be really effective because people know that local person. They know Mr. Jones used to be the grocer and he was really nice to them mm. when they were a kid and so mm. they, there's that value mm. in, in the communities they recognize the person aging in place and I mm. think this this is part of the problem with this governance where we got the disbursement of the funds for the aged care facilities and we started to see in the news in the news the problems that can occur with these large conglomerates that are running the aged care facilities and that uh, checks and balances haven't been satisfactory in terms of finding out what's what's going on in the in these organizations and at the ground level where people are providing care there isn't that level of support uh, and, and and I think that this is this is something that still needs to be yeah. uh, needs to be worked on seriously mm -hmm. yeah, um, actually not all aged care facilities. I felt I should throw this in that I actually work in a brilliant aged care facility. Yes, I'm um, sure that there are many really I, good ones. There are excellent ones. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I would argue that I would I work in the best one in the ACT, and it's not the best one because I work there. It, it's I work there because it's the best one. If you, if you take my point, because mm. okay, because I chose and I wanted to go and work there, but but. Oh, do you remember, Jeff, um, you're talking about the government bureaucracy and yes. the insensitivity of that, should we say? Do you remember yep. some years ago they had the challenging behaviours? They put some money aside, didn't they? Yes. Yeah, uh, for challenging behaviours. Yes. And that program lasted a very short period of time Yes. Be because it blew out, didn't it? It did. Because the government presumably wasn't aware that the most challenging behaviours in aged care facilities are physical and verbal aggression. That's right. I think that's a really good example of how little government actually knows about what goes on in facilities that they're actually responsible for and and not that they run the facilities but if but the department of health or department of health and aging as it was or whoever the department's called now knew so little about it that they thought that this would just be a a bit of a support it was a from on high solution yes, to yes. the problem which was manifestly not successful and the resourcing wasn't adequate for the depth it of the problem was no the way adequate because the depth of the problem related to the lack of training and support for yes. staff and adequate nursing supervision and it tells us how, how little the government actually knows about an industry that it's supposed to be regulating it's very disturbing what you're saying actually i'm wondering how I don't know that we can talk about solutions, but it seems that some think that the solution is to therefore, as you said, we've covered looking the other way, putting people away, the possibility of using robots rather than people and paying people and training people and uh, in improving the funding to these various facilities to provide 
support also of looking at innovative models of care. I know that uh, Kayama has a very interesting model. It's a, a dementia-friendly city. Yes. Uh, which I think is very interesting. I don't know whether either of you would like to speak to that. Oh, I, I, I haven't seen Kayama, but as you probably know, I spent 2014, I spent some time in Holland in the Dutch dementia village of De Hogwe. I hope I pronounced it correctly. And yes, radically different way of thinking about aged care. Small little villas inside the uh, inside the the compound, if you want to call it that. That's got a bad connotation, but I can't think of another way of describing it. So small little villas with about six, seven or eight people in each one. So a really home-like environment. I mean, you, you go into aged care facilities here in the ACT and you'll find there's huge dining rooms where about 50 or 60 people sit and have their meals. Um, I don't know if you're, how big your family is, but that is not a home-centred environment. And then you have these corridors where people you walk along where people go to sleep or, or they have their particular rooms. I mean, this is not... This is not home-centred caring. This is institutional. Mm. Institu- everyone does everything at the same time. Yeah, and we uh, we discussed that quite, uh, which I think you know was just amazing. We discussed that when we were talking previously about um, the Tin Man and does he have a heart? And but that was three years ago. Has anything improved? I think they're trying to improve the design of facilities. There's more recognition, but that hasn't flowed through to the no. policy. There's more known about it and interest. That there is interest from architecture, architects, and designers about making facilities more livable, and that's something a space in which people in healthcare can work as well. But the wherewithal and the resourcing to to make those changes uh, hasn't come through because. And, and this is my personal view is that if this and this equally applies broadly to mental health too is if we keep going through process of reviewing it seems to stymie the the process of actually making changes to services if we make changes to services and provision of services we must evaluate them and this is the problem that we have with the the way that we interact in my 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 personal view with the policy cycle with aged care and mental health care similarly is that changes are made particularly at a particular high level often at the commonwealth level they're not evaluated because because the process hasn't got an evaluation built in the government changes and then these things peter off usually and the state governments don't get the dispersed funds to manage their local services which are based in the areas with the local councils etc that provide most of the day-to-day care for people the difficult part particularly with aged care is that there isn't really any aged care facility or funding significantly within local regions these are only dispersed by the commonwealth through the aged care mm. system and so then we've got this sort of most, most permanent divide and i think that that's part of what I find it is a problem with aged care. The Commonwealth funds the aged care facilities, yet the state services are the ones that have to do in-reach to support. And some Commonwealth services, mm. like the dementia management services, but they're also tended out through the Commonwealth to separate NGOs, which come and go with time. Mm. So. But uh, governments love reports, reviews, inquiries. Governments love that. It's a sort of like a dynamic inertia, isn't it? <laughs> Where yeah. nothing good, happens, good but, phrase, it, yeah. but it keeps on happening. I, I, th- I think I, the Yes Minister would have told you that. Yes, you know? that's right. It, it's really good to be seen to be doing something. Yes, and uh, we wrote about, not achieve wrote about in, uh, in, in mental health care, about <laughs> Potomkin villages, and, yeah. and in the article that was controversial <laughs> that we wrote, I wrote recently with a colleague about Potemkin psychiatry, where they try to make the appearance of doing things mm. where, to to show that they're being effective. I'm not saying it's necessarily directly malign, but sometimes they, the problems were that they didn't solve any of the issues by building a new service when there weren't any staff, and uh, they, that they didn't assess the needs of the community. They didn't collaborate with the consumers and the carers to find out about what they needed. The services are built from some policy angle which relates more directly to the governmental process 
rather than from the grassroots level mm. from from consumers and carers it's not co-designed with no, it, all. Co-designed. it should be co-designed with all people and i think you know the family members consumers and carers the the clinicians at the other end the services everybody everybody should come around the table from the outset to discuss what is the issue and how do we progress it and how do we want to do that not you know not that there's a, a bucket of funds some place and oh, we need to put some money over here let's do it in the most fiscally but that's uh, assuming that everyone that, that sits around the table has an equal voice it's usually the people well, with the money have the have the voices don't they that's right that, but but that's why co-design is so important or co-production of these things where there is you know the aim is for everyone to have an equal voice and it might take uh, a longer time to sort of tease out the issues but at least uh, people are mm. sharing and speaking, you know, obviously interested people are around the table. And, you know, I think, Jeff, you you wrote and you said that... Now, I was so amazed with one of the articles you had written. I think it's the one you were referring to with the re-disorganisation of services. <laughs> and you discussed <laughs> such a... Brutal- it's, not, it's not my term. It's, it's from uh, uh, a, doctor, <laughs> a, a professor, Tal. Professor Raymond Tallis, who, who 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 talked about it in the the British NHS, because they they've had cycles of constant reorganisation. They are the origin of <laughs> yes, minister. But you can pinch the term. I'm always stealing other people's terms. Yeah. But the redisorganisation is, is is very real. And our concern, even as uh, those in terms of provision of care, clinicians, and this is played out in many jurisdictions, is there hasn't been engagement with the. The, the nurses, the doctors, the social workers, the psychologists who are providing care in terms of helping to plan care, let alone they haven't consulted the consumers carers, so, yeah. because they design the services from some policy perspective based on their, it seems from our perspective, reading of the situation. But the most, as far as we can see, most of the policy people aren't on the ground and they will and they ha- may have expertise in epidemiology and about statistics, but they're not the ones that can see what's happening to your mother in the nursing home, what's going on day to day. And that is really important, that perspective at the at the coalface. Mm. We keep coming back to this political and bureaucratic brick wall uh, in terms of changing anything in a significant way other than rearranging the deck chairs or, or the, <laughs> the, 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 the dynamic inertia or the yeah. or the reorg culture that anyone yeah, yeah. who's worked in the public service would be aware of. You know? yes. But what's the strategy then? We can sort of throw rocks and eggs at this sort of and poke fun as we should at this sort of political culture. Uh, but uh, where are the, what sort of a, a solution? do we need to be activists around in terms yes. of or mm. strategies that we need to yeah. employ to actually change anything beyond that uh, whole policy dynamic that you were talking about? I think we well. have to continue to challenge it in every discourse that we have to sure. ask because the, the response that sometimes people say, well, you, you want to do it, why don't you go and run for for you know for office? And I said, no, I don't, I'm not interested in running for office. I'm trained to do what I want to do. But it doesn't mean that I can't raise issues with you because you're allowed to raise issues with me about what we do in practice if it is good for society, and I respect that. But we, unless we have continued to try to attempt, and I think this is a bit outside my expertise in terms of the political aspect, I think as a society, as clinicians, as mm. consumers and carers, we have a right to continue to request because, mm. in fact, the things that are reaching people's attention ha- in the media, in this thing, and I'm not saying it's a fair, uh, balanced approach that we get from the media because the media will hone on in certain issues. That if we raise these issues, we can we can we can continue to try and hold people to account. And I think we have to. As, as, as citizens. It's sort of necessary. And we have to remember when we vote. It's our philosophical uh, adage, ad, yeah. adage, it's necessary but not sufficient, Jeff, yeah. is my concern. And we've yeah. seen that for yes. I don't know how many decades now, I don't know. But it, people are still continue to raise these. But there seems to be a political um, block there, or cultural block even, in terms of getting much uh, in, but, uh, addressing of these issues. Yeah. Or even when we do, they get put on the bookshelf or they don't get funded or resourced in ways that need to change even uh, how we do things. Well, I think the voice has to be louder because we've got so many people who are burnt out. They're mm-hmm. ethically and morally burnt out of trying to butt their heads against a system that's actually not properly resourcing 
uh, facilities uh, or staff or training people and uh, you know in the case of um, psychiatry I know that many people are, are not wanting to enter into becoming a psychiatrist because of the stigma people are not wanting to work in these places because of the stigma uh, and because they know that people become burnt out or morally morally bankrupt, burnt out, have a moral injury. Yeah. And I think government really does start to need to listen and hear what's being said because otherwise this is going to continue and we'll have less and less skilled people able to provide the that really essential support. And at the end of the day, the people who end up in the aged care facility or the mental health facility are going to suffer. And with our growing aged care population, I can't see it getting. I can't see it getting better unless there is a real attention paid to these issues. Well, politics, that's just my polit per personal. Yeah, no, personal look, thoughts. I think you're right. Politics is the only game in town, and to say that we, you can't change things, you only have to look at the climate change. Whatever you stance you take on the climate change, you've got the 16-year-old girl that's made the whole world sit up and either hate her or or, <laughs> or or regard her as a savior or somewhere in between. Certainly, you can change stuff, but you have to be political and yeah. you have to agitate and you have to. But the, see, the trouble is, whoever voted in a general in an election here in Australia, a Commonwealth election based on how we treat the older person. No one votes on this stuff. Mm. No one votes on how are we treating the mentally ill? No. Do they? And that's part of the problem. There's and no, that's there's yeah. no what you're in saying. It. There's no part political of clout behind the... And, and, but you can sense. change it. Yeah. Well, and okay. politics is a reflection of society. And, and yes. I think the ways that we can influence by continuing to try and reach out to people in all, all the forms that we can in society, talking to people, but also I think we can be approach the media, but also through fiction and, and creative work. So we've had some great support from the creative community about mental illness, and I think that that's terrific. If That's the way we can, I think, uh, potentially, from my understanding of, of you know social and cultural factors, is that we can make some changes if we can change some of that, that zeitgeist of the, how we view. And then it'll get more on, on the political radar because if, if society feels strongly about it. But that's quite a journey and it's Indeed. something that will require sustained action to advocate. And I think society, groups like the Council on, a on, on the Aging are trying to make changes like that, but it's still hard for them to get that sort of media support, attention, that, that, that voice. And we, we, are, we are working on things here through your... The, the excellent transforming perceptions program but we we're not with without any district disrespect we're not on prime time no uh, no and we're, we're not we're not on one of these cable channels no no we're not but we've got people listening in boston so that's interesting so maybe somebody is in listening and is interested but we are going to go to a piece of music now i know that this is a led zeppelin one since we're talking about we're all a little older in this room i think we're all over 50 40 over 40 definitely. over 40 oh we'll yes just settle yeah. for that shall we yeah okay <laughs> just, just a little bit over 40 <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to Transforming Perceptions. And that's me trying to stifle a laugh because we were talking about something totally unrelated. But about climate change and about advocacy and these various issues which are fairly important around our topic of the politics of loneliness, humane, aged care, human or robot. So over to who is going to speak next? Am I speaking with you, Tony? Um, well, I guess I guess what we were talking about before, wasn't it, was um, how do you get change? That that would lead me to think about what are peak bodies doing? We're just talking about people in aged care facilities. What are peak bodies doing to effect change? And I think that when we were off air, Jeff was pointing out that one of the problems, of course, is that that peak bodies are funded by the government. 
And so, mostly, mostly funded by the government. And certainly, as as I was saying to my work for Dementia Australia for seven years, and we almost all our funding here in the ACT and Dementia Australia came from the Commonwealth government. So the one thing you learn is that you do not embarrass the government. You don't raise difficult questions because we we knew what was going on in residential aged care facilities. We knew what the standards were like. We knew what the treatment was like. We knew what actually happened, uh, and. And basically, you're, you're encouraged not to do anything, not to say anything. And um, I, I guess I'm going to segue just quickly into this. There's only one thing that I think when I think about the Royal Commission, that I would really love to be a Royal Commissioner, and I would really love to have the CEOs of peak bodies sitting in front of me. And I'd really love to ask them, did you know what was going on in residential care? Because it's a no-win a no-win question because if they say no we didn't know what was going on then I'd like to say well what on earth good are you this is your core constituency in residential care yeah. dementia Australia these people have dementia did you, if you didn't know then what good are you and if you did know then why the hell didn't you scream from the rooftops what was happening either way you're morally complicit in the crisis in residential care in this country you are to blame for it and no amount of now we're going to do training programs and now we're going to try and upskill people, you know, add reasonable sums of money you're going to pay us, is going to escalate you from, from this responsibility. It falls in your lap. And the other group of people it falls in the lap of is, of course, the government. The, the, the minister in charge of aged care or ageing, uh, ministerial responsibility is a hallmark of the Westminster system of democracy. What were you doing? Didn't you know? You should have known. If you didn't know, you were incompetent. If you did know and you didn't do anything, once again, you're incompetent. Mm -hmm. So if I was a, a Royal Commissioner, that's what I would like to ask. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a perspective, certainly, you had in terms of when I volunteered for medical organisations and, of course, to protect them, I'm not going to name them. When we tried to approach uh, at the federal level and I think I can think back 20 years of us trying to approach about the issues we said that there were concerns about the standard of medical care being provided in aged care facilities we lobbied for uh, a good standard of medical care and that was roundly opposed by some of the industry bodies that they said that, that there was no need to enforce a medical standard of care uh, and we also raised the issue about adequacy of nursing numbers and uh, which has been mentioned previously but no action was forthcoming on raising these issues people appeared as if they were listening but no action occurred so you can draw the the conclusion so these issues have been raised and it, it is about this this responsibility and it gets into difficult territory when we when i think to be fair to all 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 the sector consumers, carers, uh, people working in aged care have been raising these issues for decades, but mm -hmm. the, the action has not been forthcoming. And there's this problem, as, as Tony articulated, with the fact that there is a risk of sort of capture of organizations and representative bodies uh, in a different setting, which I've read about, not directly my expertise, about what they talk about in terms of regulatory capture which happened in financial organizations where governmental people were involved in the running of of of, of, of uh, financial organizations so there was a lot of interplay in, in terms of of the organization so much so that they resembled each other very closely and this can potentially happen in other they're settings. almost married to each other yeah there's the, this can happen in other this can happen in other settings too and we think that obviously one factor is if if we set aside the concept of just even the the government. If one organisation is funding everything, and it holds all the purse strings, and all the people are kind of beholden to that, e even the person in the street can can reason that that's likely to influence how you approach them. You approach them in ways that are like a supplicant. Mm -hmm. You can't really just say, yeah. "Well, I'm going to raise this issue," but I have the money. And we thought the feudal system was uh, gone a long time ago, but it really hasn't been gone. It's, uh, it's just a, a new version of, a modern day version of the feudal system with person going on bended knee to the castle yeah. to ask for something. But, you know, 
and it's whether these structures are actually going to be changed so that there is an independence there and in the funding arrangements you know until we get to a point where organizations community organization peak bodies are independent and advocacy is welcomed as seen as a as a positive thing not something to be uh, suppressed and and uh, positively punished in different ways uh, then we, we're not going to see any real political or ch a cultural change in in terms of the reform of these structures and systems is the same with the the lack of transparency and accountability in how political parties are funded and the, and the need for cleaning up those uh, structures around uh, uh, mm -hmm. f funding elections uh, 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 and unless those issues are really addressed structurally uh, then we're still going to be coming back in another 10 years time and saying well we've still got the same cultural and systemic issues and I think this is part of the p situation whether it is in the community sector, mental health, aged care or whatever or in po the political, wider political sphere I think these, are, these, these structural and mm, funding yeah. issues are, are critical whether it's medical care yes. system or, and fee-for-service or, or other issues as well. So We could have another inquiry in 10 years' time. Yeah. Well, that's right. On exactly how many of those recommendations will have all been implemented or, or at all. I, I have visions of some little old man going down in the elevator to the bottom basement to yeah. where it's very dusty and placing them on another shelf next to the last lot and, uh, you know, nothing happening. Oh, I thought you were going to say to 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 bring up the the last one and just dust the date off. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and say here this is our report. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you changed the date on the report. <laughs> well, we've got five yeah. uh, national mental health plans that are good examples of uh, you know right. how to yeah yeah and they're all a bit different and tweaked and not much of any of them has really been implemented. Uh, uh, you know, so I mean we've got good examples even within our own sphere. So yeah, yeah. It's it's very disturbing, but where is this taking us? Is what I'd like to ask. I think we need to continue to advocate, and that's that's what we can do at this stage. I mean, we have to because that's the that's that's the main avenue open to us to allow uh, to continue the discourse because there isn't any other alternative. We can remain silent. That still mm. won't help. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yes. And raising them, yeah. even if people aren't listening. We can hope to get the ear of someone, and that does happen from time to time in, in, in political settings. But it's not sustained, at least in relation to care for older people and dealing with issues of loneliness and social connection, because there are, there is good evidence of societal-level interventions potentially that could be effective from what we know about people ageing in place. I think we might have spoken before about the example of uh, in, in, in Sweden where they study people who on the island of Kungsholm and, and followed them up over many years because older Swedish people tend to live in the same place and found that being more engaged in social activities, meeting with friends, intellectual activities as well, uh, playing a little bit of uh, sport or exercising were all preventative against decline in mobility, cognitive function. Uh, and, and and also protective uh, in terms of mental health. No so, robots. Yeah, no robots. <laughs> no robots. I'm sure they could make well, very good robots. Well, but, um, who would have thought? We yeah. haven't really got onto the whole robot issue yet, but the role of technology shouldn't necessarily be shunned out of per se out of hand. No, but, we, it's no, just, but it's how the yeah. dominant or, or or replacement solution for the human or mm. the or the inter interaction or inter uh, the re relational. Uh, well, it's the instrumental use. The of, it's the instrumental use because it yeah, can exactly, be it yeah, can be applied yeah. sensitively. And yes. None of us in healthcare would be opposed to any 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 um, technical solutions because that's how we, we how we improve healthcare. Mm -hmm. It's about the humane application of technical solutions. So you mm -hmm. could have robots that help with carers with lifting and and people to avoid back injuries and and those sorts of things would be really helpful. Yeah, you but still what, have, what happens? You start there, and where do you go? Yeah, you're, in the, you're in the Jetsons, then. You're in Star Trek. But yeah, backs, but, backs are frail. Yeah, but it doesn't mean we have to go all the way, does it? I mean, no. I mean, it yeah, doesn't. Yeah, but sometimes people just get get excited by this stuff, and the next thing you know, so, they're way down the track. Of with, well, yeah, well, that's, <laughs> a that's, that's that solutionism <laughs> that I think that Evgeny Morozov has written about in in. Uh, who's a media and, and technological commentator in, in a book called To Save Everything, Click Here. So he talks about these sort of application of digital technologies and in a sense any technocratic society in thinking about this article we're uh, writing at the moment 
we do have these approaches, but we have to apply them judiciously, particularly in my area of expertise in healthcare, because just because you could do things doesn't yes. mean you should do them, because True. They, they can have unforeseen consequences, especially if we don't know about the application of that technology. There are many examples of things that have been uh, helpful in terms of improving technology, but it's how you apply them thoughtfully and engaging with people honestly to, to, to see the impacts. As you said, lifting what I was envisioning was that you still have the nurse there, but the nurse is working mm. with the with That's the right. person there mm. and controlling the robot. Mm. Mm. Because the nurse, we don't want the nurse to put out their back. Mm. Yeah, uh, fair uh, enough. Uh, uh, with, with the lifting, and we have a variant of that because you have lifting machines. So if you had a robot, yes. they could have safety measures built in. Yes. But you have to have the human there because you're lifting yes. a human, not a pile of bricks. So when so, you so when you're talking about what we might loosely call the bonds of affection yeah. that that bind us together as humans whether you want to quote aristotle or marx or anyone because we are social animals you don't want robots intruding on that the, on those bonds of affection do you on on the holding hands the the the, the emotional connectedness between one person and another well, Be, because the person because we lose as a society because engaging the other from an emotional perspective has to do with notions of compassion and it's how we express our compassion and and notions of obligation and, and duty and regard to others and once we cut away or undermine those sorts of affective sorts of relationships then i think that that's that's a bad that's a bad gig yeah i think you're spot on there tony because then it comes back to those deeper philosophical and social value questions you know that beyond uh, ones that are purely ec economic or yes. instrumental and and what 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 enriches our lives and, and what really uh, does make our lives valuable and and i think we're living in a culture where the economics distortions of of a certain type of capitalism and mm. and profit focus uh, you know mm. motives are, are then or or just around individualism too in terms of being uh, self-reliant financially in other ways and striving after extraneous things rather than the quality of relationships that yes. you know and and the across the generations as well you mm -hmm. know uh, that we're not just there doing our own thing like our peers are doing and and but that the richness comes from the quality of relationships between the aged and the and the very long, young like that lovely yeah. documentary of four-year-olds with the elderly just yeah. beautifully showed yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yet that's not valued economically in our society as you say it's increasingly becoming the the realm of people with from foreign backgrounds with poor english yeah. who can't get it because they're seen as low skilled if we're going to value yeah. those roles as low skilled then we're we're, we're yeah. setting a standard across our society that's everyone sees those sorts of relationships as not important not valued yeah, absolutely and i think this is the the, the deeper sort True. of social and uh, philosophical and cultural uh, values that we're really going down a, a rabbit hole with that are really undermining, undercutting the very uh, foundations of, of, of good social and enriching uh, societies. Yeah. Of humanity. Uh, communities. Well, of yeah, humanity, and I yeah. think we've already gone too far down the path, I think. We've got young children in more engaged with their phones mm. than within learning how to have a socially connect yeah. with another child. We've got higher rates of stress. We've got higher bullying. rates of bullying, yeah. suicidality in the community. Yeah. I think, you know, who is researching this? Who's looking at how technology is impacting us and our ability to make those connections? You know, that worries me. And I mean, from the story at the very beginning, which well, I didn't get to read it out because it was actually a video. How stupid of me. But anyway, it was about the toy that had been created in, uh, by Japanese marketers and was given to people uh, so that they weren't lonely. They had this toy, this it's right a, little it's robot. It's a seal, isn't it? It's a... It's a seal. It's a baby seal. Yeah, it's a weird-looking thing. Yeah, I've seen yeah. them. I've seen facilities use them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was worried that parents might start using something like this because you'll often see parents give their kids Comfort, the the mm. the tablet, mm. and they've got the kids on the tablet mm. um, to shut them up. Mm. I mean, my mother used to send us out in the backyard, go out and play, but at least you were doing something physical. And oh, I just wondered, is, is this going to have other impacts if we start going further and further down this path? What are we going to lose if, if we don't manage it 
yep. and really think about the consequences of uh, whether or not we're actually damaging somehow our young people, our future generations, and how they can connect with one another and create empathetic humane societies i saw something recently where there was a mother kissing it was a an x-ray or something of a mother kissing a child and it it stimulated parts of the brain Mm -hmm. around empathy and the child's brain around empathy we learn Mm. through those connections that Mm. physical contact Mm. more than i think perhaps people Realize. Yeah, there's a lot of social neuroscience research which shows the effect of the human contact. And mm. that's without wanting to draw too long a bow. We are a uniquely social species. That's mm-hmm. the way we've evolved. And that's the way we are by nature. Changing that drastically is likely to have significant consequences. And a number of sources, as you've discussed, have raised concerns about the effect of the use of technology insofar as it changes human connectedness and there's been interest particularly uh, with sociologists and psychologists in looking at this like Sherry Turkle who at MIT who's looked at the the ways in which people connect and one of the poignant examples that I remember from her book was this person had all these computer screens on the table and they said each one is and they had a physical window and said the 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 physical and i'm paraphrasing here the windows on the screen were better than the the window outside which was (laughs) something conveying something about the difficulty of 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 engaging with life and 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 also the example that she gave in in one of her books about how People had lost the ability to, and and even Morozov has talked about this with life loggers. People have lost the ability to forgive and forget. Couples that recorded each other in the middle of an argument and then played it back to say, "There, you did say that." Uh, I I cannot see from a from it's a, brilliant. and I say I cannot say from a uh, uh, from a like a professional perspective as a psychiatrist. I don't think that that's a very uh, effective way to deal with conflict because, of course both people will have a conflict and recording it and playing back doesn't necessarily improve the conversation <laughs> or the interaction subsequently this is the um, surveillance society gone crazy well, they they get, she gave examples of families yeah. that sat at the table and uh, texted each other instead of mm. talking to each other over the over the meal mm. and people who and something we've seen more recently in social contact uh, that sometimes and we found it in university settings, students preferring to use uh, email or, or texting rather than coming to meet with someone in person, mm. which mm. then affects their ability to have discourse or discussion with people. They, mm. They're not learning how to mm. talk to other people because that's, that's a necessary uh, skill and that people want this sort of what they have a, a curated life. So. It's the example that people have talked about, like Sherry Turkle, is this, uh, and other colleagues about having things on on Facebook or media. It, it's a representation of life, just like a painting is uh, a representation of life. But it isn't actually life as it is, because things are edited out of 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 existence. And Morozov talks about this too, this sort of editing, uh, and the fact that you could record everything that you did is probably, I mean, from my my own understanding of 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 human nature and and you know the cognitive neuroscience and social science it's necessary that we and certainly in therapeutic settings that's what we work with people it's helpful to forget and it's helpful to forgive and that's part of human compassion Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. if you record everything you have everything like a machine then we're losing something Mm. and is it's interesting too to think that a lot of the people who are in aged care grew up in societies where they didn't have all this technology that building social connection and and community and being part of community was was their life was pretty important and so you know i'm imagining that people are really when they're lonely and they're isolated and they're separated from their loved ones and perhaps they can't they're because of Alzheimer's they're they're back in the past it must be even more emotionally painful 
to not have human connection yes because they're they're adrift in time and that's that that's that that's the they drift in their memories which is must be terribly we can only imagine when times when we've been sick and sometimes when you had a fever or something like that how to how it is to be lost in in, in your memories and then th that that is it's such a such a difficult journey for them and having that human contact and support is even more crucial because it's a way of anchoring mm -hmm. to to reality mm -hmm. which I, we know that people also with severe disabilities and and, and, and and mental illness also have at times with their distress. So that human aspect I don't think can ever be eschewed and that's part of what coming back to what we think you know we've been talking about that placing replacing it with the instrument or or a, or a machine is not humane because it, it doesn't at least at this stage it can't have human feelings or responses we'll have a lot more dilemmas if we ever build anything like that does have feelings that'll that's a different type of thing to conceive of which or even uh, looks like they do yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that could be good. there's a long tradition there um uh, perhaps it was a bit obtuse but it's about uh, uh look we'll raise that another time perhaps don't worry yeah tony i think was going to make a point yes no, tony make, no, a, make a last thing comes on well we've come back haven't we so when jeff's talking what i'm thinking about is isn't it really sad that people would say my children don't want to come and see their grandparents because they'll be too distressed by it that's really sad they should be there they should be distressed they should be distressed me meeting nana in the dementia unit they should be upset and distressed mm -hmm. because i think from that comes maybe an understanding of mortality maybe so also the the, the the beginnings of compassion and it's mm -hmm. not to criticize them being distressed or their their fear of being distressed mm -hmm. but that is unfortunately part of life life and our experiences mm -hmm. Maybe they need to be properly distressed. Also, the fact that they those the elderly people are there, yeah. and often when they're not, they're visiting uh, are isolated yeah. and 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 are left in to d deal with their own situation without that hum yeah. breadth and richness of human contact. And maybe that's a good thing yes. in, if it generates so a need an for awareness and understanding yes. of what yes. needs to be changed. As Ch well. Children know what yes, is right do. and what's wrong. They get a feeling in their yeah. gut that this is not okay, and hopefully if we have children who are aware of how our older people are being treated perhaps they might strive to ensure that in the future they are better cared for absolutely because they will be older for a lot longer than the rest of us <laughs> yeah that's what they they should learn at school too mm. Well, that's been a tony do you have a last comment and then we'll, well that's self-interest though isn't it but, yeah. I mean, Does that enlighten self-interest? Yes. <laughs> no, <definitely. laughs> Thank you so much, Tony and Jeff and David, for this stimulating conversation around the politics of loneliness, humane aged care, robot or human. So thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.